Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey. Hey. How's it going? It's going good. How's it going with you? I'm pretty tired right now. We just got home from a camping trip and I'm like a little bit, a little bit tired, but it was wicked fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. We like, we have been on the move like nobody's business. One adventure after the next. Yeah, we were up in Skowhegan, Maine um, at a lake over the 4th. We came home, had a day at home, and then we went right back up to the White Mountains for Hattie's first camping trip, which was an epic success. So I'm feeling pumped about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So we're going to start a little new segment, um, what we're digging now. And it's basically just because I want an excuse to talk about hot Pilates because I'm obsessed with it right now. (laughs) Fair enough. You guys need to go to Hot Pilates. So here's why I love it. Because, um, well, at least for me, like my weakest links in my body are my glutes and obviously the core, the pelvic floor, which is just just tends to be weak on a lot of people. But the glutes do too. And I feel like that's really underappreciated. And we've even, Kyle, you and I have talked about this, about how there is some link between sluggish adrenals and being unable to fire your glutes, which is really cool. So that's a, it's an issue with a lot of folks, even if they don't know about it. But anyway, hot Pilates is, I mean, like that's what they focus on the entire time is engaging those muscles. So I, and it's all also in a very hot room. So you sweat, which I'm a huge fan of. I think everybody needs to sweat way more than they're doing. It's like one of the best ways to detox your body. Um, and so um, I went to Braintree, which is on the other side of Boston. Oh so it's my like, God. I know. It's a, it's a hall. I went to see one of my good friends and we were, you know, you're, you're stuck in Boston traffic anyway, anyway, you swing it. So I was in the car. I think like we ended up driving, it was me and Hattie for like five and a half hours that day. And my <laughs> back was just like, it was, I could like barely walk. I had like dead leg. And I went to hot Pilates the very next morning and walked out of that class completely pain-free, like no low back pain because I was engaging the muscles that I'm supposed to be engaging that I just like, they go Mm. slack on me. So I think it's awesome. It's an awesome workout. You get to sweat and you get um, to engage those muscles that like we don't always engage when we spend a lot of time in our seats. So what up hot Pilates? Um, If you're local, I mean, just like look, you know, look for one by you, but locally they're at um, the two Bikram studios that I, that I partner with um, in Portsmouth and in Epping. And I think they also have them in Concord too. So look that up, you guys. That's what I'm digging now. 
Cool, what are man. you digging? What are you digging? Speaking of low back problems, what are you digging? <laughs> I know it's like my middle name. Kyle, so... <laughs> low back pain, Myrana. <laughs> um, so you guys have heard us talk about Blue Ridge Hemp um, before on the podcast. I actually interviewed the owner, Will, for one of our first podcasts. I can't, I don't even know that I can bring myself to listen to some of the first ones. They're just like, like <laughs> can I say me, it? Self-care. What are you doing for self-care? Oh, God. I can't. It's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. So if you want to laugh at us, go ahead and check that one out. Um, but we talked all about CBD and their company. And if you haven't heard of them before, Blue Ridge Hemp is an Asheville-based company making CBD-infused natural care products for pain management and just overall wellness. And I tried their products for the first time last year and was hooked pretty much instantly. This company just checks off all the boxes for me. They're eco-friendly, non-GMO. They don't test on animals. They're vegan. They're super connected to the community always doing new collaborations in town with uh, um, other local businesses. They just had a recent one with um, The Hop, which is a local ice cream shop in town, and they made a CBD hemp milk ice cream that I got to try that is super tasty. They have... Whoa, that sounds good. Oh, it was really good, yeah. And they have a line of topicals so roll-ons lotions salves gels massage oils sugar scrubs and bath bombs they released blue jays which are hemp flower cones kind of like a joint um and for all my foodies out there they just dropped a line of superfoods which i am so pumped about so now they have cbd infused coconut oil and ghee I want to get my hands on some of that. I want all of it. Um, and we talk a lot about the current healthcare system and all the problems associated with that. One of the biggest being the reliance on pharmaceuticals to manage medical problems, especially um, the use of opiates. And being functional nutritionists mean, means we're, we really try to look for holistic alternatives whenever we can. And CBD offers so many medicinal benefits that it's just really incredible. If you aren't familiar with what CBD is, it stands for cannabidiol, which is a part of the cannabis plant, um, but it's not psychoactive like THC. It's not addictive. It's totally legal. It can be used for inflammation, anxiety, sleep, pain. Honestly, the list goes on and on with all of the benefits and um, things that can be helpful for. I've been using it myself, and I'm a, a, a huge fan. Huge yeah. Fan. yeah. Whenever I hear the name, though, I always think of boys to men, ABC, CBD. CBD. <laughs> wow. And you've just you've just changed that for me. <laughs> so I've been wondering how we could collaborate with them more. And so Erin and I are super pumped to announce that Blue Ridge Hemp is now a sponsor of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. So what this means is that we'll be talking about products we're currently using, how we're using them, and why we're using them. So to kick things off, I have to start with my go-to product, which is their um, Sav. I talked about, I've talked about my chronic back pain, like Kyle, like all the time. Back pain, marijuana. <laughs> and this product has seriously given me so much relief when I have acute pain 
or if I'm just using it regularly for prevention. Like if I have a camping trip coming up, I use it every day before that just so that like I'm, I'm doing what I can for inflammation. It's infused with all these different essential oils. It smells so good. The jar lasts a wicked long time and I'm still using the same jar I, I bought last year and um, it's perfect for joint and nerve pain and for inflammation. So, so please go and check out their website see all their products, make so make sure you read all about the current CBD research and the list of conditions that can be helpful for. It's all on their website. Right now they're offering $5 off each product you add to your cart with free shipping for orders over 60 bucks. You can find them at blueridgehempco.com and we will link to their website in the show notes. Yeah, I'm pumped about this. After you did that episode with Will, um, so many of our listeners bought their products and have said the best things about them. So I think this is this is going to be great. The beginning of a beautiful relationship. What do you do for self-care, Will? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have to live with that awkwardness for the rest of your life. Forever. (laughs) All right. So let's get back to the low-carb discussion that we started on our last show. We just, we got way, way, um, carried away and we have so many questions that we needed a second episode um and i just want to be clear that this really isn't a show about whether or not low carb diets are good or bad because i don't really see things that way it's really more to answer all of your questions and try to clear up some of the carb confusion for you guys so we're going to answer questions in kind of a rapid fire way today and we'll start by answering the rest of the question from last week because i didn't have a chance to finish that completely so kyle can you read that question again yeah, sometimes uh, if you haven't noticed, I really suck at reading other people's, you know, words and when they're lengthy. So here goes. Um, <laughs> some of us need to lose weight plain and simple, not to get down to the perfect bikini body or fit in the gold jeans or any of the unhealthy mindsets of weight loss. Rather, lose weight to be comfortable in clothes I already fit into, to have more energy, to go on a hike and enjoy it to be able to play with and enjoy my kids all day long in the various activities we do. I know that low or lower carbs will help me accomplish this, but cutting out carbs 100% is probably not what my gut needs, or is it? I've been working on trying to find a healthy balance of carbs in my life and still can't nail it down. What should that balance look like? What carbs are a go fit in moderation carb and what are a don't touch me with a 10 foot pole carb? Should we be eating carbs with every meal of the day or only a few? What's the relationship between starches and carbs, dairy and carbs? Tell me all. All right. So we got into the weight loss thing last episode. So if you didn't listen to that one, go ahead and check it back out, especially how it relates to low carbs. Um, To answer the rest of her questions um, and some of the other questions coming up on today's show, there's going to be a lot of it depends. Some of the answers depend on the type of carbohydrate that we're talking about. So last week on the show, we talked about some different types of carbohydrates, and that really matters. A lot of what we see in the low-carb world is looking at carbohydrate as just a macronutrient. And when you do this, when you're using macros to determine your meal composition, that can be a problem because macros don't differentiate between the type of carbs, right? They just lump them all together. So pretzels made with refined flour are going to be 
put on the same playing field as an orange. So some people might ask how many carbs are in that? Like that is the rule of thumb to whether or not you can eat that food. But just because something is low carb does not mean it's healthy and you always, always, always have to consider food sourcing and food quality. Now, I do think it's fine to tinker around with macro ratios because you can use them as levers. Maybe if carbs go up, then fat or if carbs go down, then fat might go up. And I, I'm going to talk a lot about this in my upcoming program, the Carb Compatibility Project, and I'm going to announce that a little bit later. But macros really can't be the main dictator of how and what you eat. So that's why we explore nutrient-dense versus nutrient-poor carbs in our last episode. And so just be sure to listen to that one if you haven't done so already. Yeah. And if macros are the main focus, I would ask how much of your focus is left for just enjoyment? Because you can follow the numbers until the cows come home. But remember that that's not a long-term strategy for health. It's one way to get insight into your current eating pattern or the changes you're making. But food can't be all about the numbers all the time. And I see people getting hyper-focused on entering every bite of food into the, into these apps that count their macros. Yeah. And I just wonder how much the numbers are driving their food choices um, after a while of doing this versus their desires for or enjoyment of certain foods driving their choices. Like, are you avoiding sweet potatoes, for example, just because of the macros, um, even though you love them? Also um, important to note that I am apparently 85 years old now and say things like, till the cows come home. <laughs> if you start calling my bum my hiney, we're done. <laughs> we're done. Fair enough. Um, but I do, I do like what you said there about those numbers providing insight. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of the theme from last week's show. Counting macros isn't necessarily bad because it does provide data, right? But the question we always want you guys to come back to is, is this sustainable? And if it's not sustainable, then why am I doing it? What is the ultimate goal? So Anyway, this this listener asks in this question, um, but cutting out carbs 100% is probably not what my gut needs, or is it? Um, and I, I do love the way that she phrases this because it's basically where I see the functional medicine world standing right now. One school of thought is saying that low-carb diets, including low FODMAPs, are the best way to heal the gut. And then we've got another school of thought saying that we need lots of plant matter and carbohydrate diversity and fiber to keep the microbiome happy. And the tricky part about this is that both can be true. And I think that's just kind of like the universal law of nutrition science is that yep. like there is no one way, right? We say that quite a bit. Um so cutting out sugars and processed carbohydrates will be helpful for your gut no matter what because those types of carbs tend to preferentially feed the pathogenic and opportunistic bacteria. Those are the guys that we don't want to have around. And I think this is where we, we need to start to get more clear. When people say low carb, how low are they talking? Because people eating the standard American diet get around 300 grams of carbohydrates a day, and that is a very high carbohydrate diet. Remember, 
this is super important. Carbohydrate intake exists on a spectrum. So it's not just low carb, high carb, right? There is a big spectrum to this. And on one hand, we've got the old school food pyramid in the US telling us to eat six to 11 servings of grains a day. And then if you guys remember, there used to be like on the base of the, the food pyramid. And then on the other hand, we've got the, the ketogenic diet that usually falls in less than 20 to 50 grams of carbohydrates a day. So that's wicked low carbohydrate. So keep this in mind as we continue to talk low carb because low carb means something different for everyone. Yeah, for women, because these amounts are going to be higher for a man, um, for women, anything less than 50 grams of carb is considered a very low carb diet. But this could be helpful for neurological issues like Alzheimer's or um, epilepsy, or if you have severe blood sugar problems. Anywhere between 50 to 75 grams of carbs is considered low carb. And this could be helpful for weight loss, blood sugar regulation, mood disturbances, and digestive problems. A moderate carb level is somewhere between 75 and 150 grams. This can be good for just general health, maintaining weight, adrenal fatigue, hypothyroid, and a high carb diet would really be anything over 150 grams. So remember that Erin just said the standard American diet is about twice this amount. So high carb diets can be good for athletes, super active people, someone trying to gain weight or muscle, um, women who are pregnant or breastfeeding, or anyone with just a really fast metabolism. So like Erin said, low carb can mean very different things sometimes, especially in comparison to the standard American diet. I mean, everything I just listed, including high carb, was significantly less than the 300 grams a day that um, is the standard American diet. So it's a pretty big spectrum. And those numbers are from Chris Cresser, right? That yes. you pulled? Yes. So that's, I mean, even that is just like one one man's opinion, a man that we both happen to really love and respect, but just one man's opinion. Because I was just listening to uh, Dr. Grace Liu speak. She's pretty pretty big expert on the microbiome, and she was saying she eats 200 grams of carbohydrates a day, and she considers that low to moderate carbs. So it kind of just depends on who you ask, too. For and sure. I would even argue that, like, you know, you were saying that – um the moderate carb between 750 to 150 could be good for adrenal fatigue. Some people with adrenal fatigue need to go like way higher than that. And some people need to go lower than that. So just to use that as an example, there really is no hard and fast rule for like, I have this, therefore I need this many grams of carbohydrates a day. Mm -hmm. But we wanted to throw something out to you guys that was like, gave you something to sink your teeth into in terms of grams of carbs. So anyway, back to the gut, um, what really matters for health and this is overall health, not just gut health, but overall systemic health. What matters for health is microbiome diversity. And the microbiome is, well, the gut microbiome is all the bacteria and the fungus and the yeast and all the stuff living in your large intestine. And a restricted diet can actually negatively affect the health of the bacteria in your gut. Not only that, it can affect the mucosal lining of the gut, which is the immune system of the gut. And this can actually make you more predisposed to food sensitivities. So 
you can you can see this with folks on long long term restricted diets. They can start to develop food sensitivities that they didn't have before, and I have seen this in practice. So um, just keep that in mind. I think a low carb diet can become restricted if you're not careful, and that's why I'm bringing it up on today's show. And I'm not saying that from necessarily a diet mindset perspective, like restrictive uh, because I'm trying to diet, more so from a lack of variety perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, so this this is a potential problem for a long-term, very low-carbohydrate diet. And in my opinion, it's not something that could be overlooked. So if you're on a low-carb diet or you're thinking of attempting one, you really need to make sure that you're getting some type of variety in there. Um, you know, I, I've talked about this a hundred times on the show before. Diets, diet, my diet plays a big role in helping me manage an autoimmune condition. Now, I used a paleo template, and I still do, as part of a gut healing process. And of course, it has been a very long process to heal the gut, and food is only one piece of it. Um, I don't want to make it sound as easy as like, oh, I went paleo and everything got better. Um, But it has served me well in terms of healing. But now that my gut is in better shape, I've been adding in more non-paleo foods, specifically legumes, in order to provide my microbiome with more fibers. I think that's one of the biggest messages that you know we try to communicate to our clients and our listeners is that things change and it's it's important to always try to leave room for that. I think we all want to have this set it and forget it mentality when it comes mm-hmm. to diets and our eating patterns. But when we do this, we can start to at some point veer off course away from what our body needs with which changes with age, pregnancy, activity, stress, lifestyle, medical problems, and on and on. So I think the way to go is to continue to adjust your diet so it's complementing your current lifestyle and current needs instead of continuing to eat the same way, regardless of what's changing around you with your lifestyle, your health, and your body. And like you said, Erin, it is a process to keep checking in with yourself and seeing if you're giving your body what it needs right now. Paleo was what helped you to heal at that time in your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean you continue it forever. And I think this is true for most therapeutic elimination diets. Right. And I'm, I'm continuously testing myself to see what I can get away with because that is my ultimate goal. It's how many foods can I eat, not how many foods can I restrict. Yes. yes. Um, and I, I love what you were saying about, um, just because like the the whole set it and forget it thing, I think that's so on point because that's, you know, it, we, we just want to make things easy for ourselves and I get that. But if we just kind of like follow the rules for the sake of following the rules, we shut down our intuition. And that this is one thing that I hear over and over and over again from folks is like, I just want to eat more mindfully and more intuitively, but you need to hone that intuition. That is a, mm-hmm. that is a, that's something you have to practice. Um, mm-hmm. And it's that process that you're talking about, Kyle, that, it's checking in with yourself over and over and over again. Um, so anyway, I liked, and it doesn't even make sense. I mean, like you wouldn't expect to wear like the same wardrobe you wore in, you know, your teens when you're in your thirties, but we, we expect to like eat the exact same food and be like, well, what's the problem with this? Like, why, why isn't this working for me anymore? 
note to self, clean up my closet. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So anyway, when it comes to gut health, um, both of these things can can be true. A restrictive diet like an elimination diet or a low-carb diet can be awesome for the gut. It truly can, but so can a very diverse and carbohydrate-rich diet. So that, that's the tricky part. And some people might need to reduce carbs in order to heal the gut or specific carbs, certain types of carbs. But I think if you're specifically focused on gut health, and that's what this listener was asking about, then the long-term goal should be to create as much diversity in your diet as possible. And that that's going to include some type of carbohydrate. It doesn't necessarily have to be starchy carbs. It's just some type of fiber and plant matter. And that is one of the things we're going to do in my upcoming carb compatibility project. It's it's to figure out how to approach a lower carbohydrate diet without eradicating all the beneficial, beneficial bacteria in your gut because it's so important, but that, you know, that's going to look pretty different for everybody. Um, and an interesting thing here, some people wrote in saying that they felt less bloated and gassy when they cut out starchy carbs, which can obviously be a very positive effect of going low carb for some people, but then other people wrote in saying the exact opposite. Um, (laughs) so you can see how so individualized this is. Um, somebody had asked that, they get bloating and gas when they cut out carbs and perhaps because I replace carbs with veggies and it's too much fiber. That's what she asked, Mm. which is a really good point. It really could be an issue with FODMAPs. Um, Even low carb diets can contain high FODMAP foods or (laughs) high FODMAP (laughs) foods. That's a hard one to say. So I didn't, you know, I don't have the option to ask this person further questions, but that's what I would do if she was sitting here in front of me. I'd want to ask her, um, a lot more questions about whether or not they have other GI symptoms, bloating and feeling like food sits heavy in their stomach, uh, constipation, diarrhea, because all of this could be a sign of dysbiosis. But if it's really only an issue um, with gas with more veggies, then it could just be a situation where her body's not used to that influx of fiber. Sometimes when we dramatically increase our veggie content, your body's just like, whoa, this is a lot of fiber. And it takes the body a while to to kind of like get on board with that. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, another question this person had was, should we be eating carbs with every meal of the day or only a few? And this is definitely a big it depends answer. Yeah, I was like, Kyle, why don't you answer that one? Because <laughs> Yeah, I was like, thanks a lot, Erin. Um, and I'm going to answer this more in the context of starchy vegetables and grains instead of non-starchy plants and fruit. Erin um, and I just talked about, or Erin just talked about, Uh, A couple of ways that the carbs can affect people differently in terms of, you know, having more or less bloating and gas with fiber and FODMAPs and paying attention to how you feel after you eat different kinds of carbs and really food in general is it's just huge. One way to do this is you could keep a symptom journal for like three to five days where you eat different kinds of carbs and if that's all you're focusing on and then write down how you feel um, to see if there's a connection there. It's not about writing down like calories or the amounts or, you know, you don't have to get too dogmatic about it, but just trying to make some connections. Um, If you're not sure whether what you're feeling is a result of what you're eating or not, 
quantity is another big factor. Like, do you feel extra bloated when you eat more carbs with all your meals? Do Does your energy level change when you eat more carbs? Is it different if you have more carbs at night versus more during the day? Do you feel better just eating them at one meal a day or in smaller quantities? I know for me, um, both of those things matter, um, the quantities and like how often I'm doing it. For the longest time, I thought my bloating, to be honest, was just like because I was eating too fast or eating too much. But Because when you do out, eat very fast. You, both of those, both of those are true statements. And you do eat a lot of food. Both of those are true statements. <laughs> So I thought that that was it. I was just like, no, I just, this is just a result of me being like an animal when a plate of food is put in front of me. I then bloat. But it was funny when I took out grains because I, when I was a vegetarian, I used to eat a ton of grains. When I took them out to try and heal my gut and try to stop the million skin rashes and weird spots I always had going on, my symptoms significantly improved just from that. And I was still basically shoveling large amounts of food, you know, at a fast pace down my throat the same way. So it was really just like the type of food that I changed. <laughs> so, um, super By the mindful. way, we don't recommend doing that. Yeah. Especially no. we're talking about gut health. Yeah. Super mindful. Namaste. <laughs> um, so now I feel like it's kind of like the, the poison is in the dose. Um, so if I eat gluten-free grains, I'm just careful of how often I'm doing this. And I, I'm fine doing it, but I'm not doing it all the time. And the quantity is a bit more controlled. So that's like how I found a sweet spot. Um, and of course, that could always change. So another thing with carbs um, with your meals is if you're someone who has trouble falling asleep at night, eating carbs with dinner or more carbs with dinner can actually help with that because carbs um, make tryptophan more available, which is what you need to make serotonin and melatonin, which is going to help you fall asleep. This doesn't necessarily mean that you won't sleep well if you eat a low-carb dinner, but if you are eating low-carb and you start to notice like some mood and sleep issues, I would increase your intake and then see what happens. Um, ultimately I think it just takes a lot of practice and awareness in order for you to figure out what makes you feel the best. So unfortunately there are a lot of ifs and it depends attached to this question that are just, it's just going to require some playing around and paying attention to figure out your sweet spot. Um, they also asked what the relationship between dairy and carbs was. So dairy does contain carbohydrates, uh, mostly because lactose is a type of sugar. And the more sugar that's in dairy, like um, like fruit in yogurt, for example, or flavored milks, obviously the more carbs. Cheese has the least amount of carbs. It's mostly fat and protein. So an ounce of cheddar cheese, grass-fed, I hope, um, has about nine grams of fat, seven grams of protein, and less than a half a gram of carbs. Um, different milks contain different amounts of carbs. A cup of cow's milk has about 12 grams of carbs. Um, a cup of unsweetened almond milk has about eight grams. And a cup of unsweetened hemp milk has only about two grams of carbs. And then foods made with these milks like yogurts and cheese will also have varying amounts of carbs in them. 
Another thing, plain Greek yogurt will have less carbs because it has more protein um, and than regular yogurt. So you just have to read labels and ingredients and do some comparisons when it comes to dairy. And if you want to learn more about dairy, go check out our one of our first episodes, maybe two or three. It's called All About Dairy. <laughs> Should be yep. easy to find. Should be. Um, and we talk a lot more about that, obviously. Um, another question that came in is asking about the micronutrients found in carbs. And I love this question because there are plenty of micronutrients found in carbs. And that is one of the bigger drawbacks of a long-term low-carb diet. You could run into nutrient deficiencies. So you kind of like think about like the classic Atkins diet that's eating just like meats and cheeses and not much plants. That's going to be a problem long-term. Um since we were just talking about the gut, I want to bring up dietary polyphenols. I'm on a big polyphenol kick right now. Um, they are a type of antioxidant. They are naturally occurring compounds that are found in plants. So when you're restricting carbohydrates, you're usually restricting plant matter since that's where most carb sources come from, whether it's grains, beans, fruits, starchy veggies, roots and tubers, or other non-starchy veggies. So by reducing some of these foods, you also reduce your polyphenol intake. Antioxidants, I mean, we've all heard that word before. They're important for a number of different reasons, but their major claim to fame and how they got their name is uh, that they can counteract free radicals. So they're anti-oxidation. Um, free radicals are produced all the time in our bodies. I know that we think of them as bad guys, but they're like, it's happening all the time. Um, but if they're left unchecked, they can become problematic. They can cause oxidative stress. Um, they can that can negatively affect uh, lipids, proteins, DNA, which can ultimately trigger disease. So we need a balance of free radicals and antioxidants to handle them. So antioxidants basically quench those free radicals. The cool thing is that we actually produce our own antioxidants, but typically not enough to overwhelm the free radicals, especially in this modern day world where we're constantly um, faced with toxins and oxidative stress. So we must also bring in dietary sources of antioxidants. There are a wide range of them and they all provide different benefits to the body. Polyphenols are unique. This is so cool. They're they're found they kind of work as a prebiotic i don't think that i'm like outstepping or like i don't know i i don't, i'm pretty sure that's accurate but they work like a prebiotic because only a small percentage of them like maybe 5 to 10% so a real small percentage of the the polyphenols that you eat are absorbed in the small intestines. The rest of them go all the way down to the colon and the, the bacteria down there break them down into other metabolites. And it's actually these metabolites, so basically you could think of it, of it like bacteria poop that make, um, that are responsible for the health effects that are derived when we eat those polyphenol rich foods rather than like the actual compounds of the food that you're eating. So that's like bananas to me. Like everybody should be like, oh my God, that's crazy, right? Like that's crazy. So like our gut bugs <laughs> eat the food that we eat and then turn it into even more powerful nutrition. So it's just another reason to keep your microbiota happy, to keep the bugs in your gut happy, to keep your gut health in check because it's like – 
look at what they're doing for us. It's bananas. Yeah. Um, we scratch their back and they'll scratch your back. Exactly. Exactly. It's a very symbiotic relationship. Um, another type of antioxidant is a pigment called anthocyanins. These guys help to enhance the growth of friendly gut bacteria as well. They block inflammation. They act as antimicrobial, anti-carcinogenic. They are neuroprotective. They can pre prevent LDL oxidation. So all really good things. They also, I read this recently, they can increase intracellular levels of vitamin C. So it's basically like an antioxidant that boosts another antioxidant so so cool so cool um maybe people are listening are like this is not cool this, this isn't is that not, cool <laughs> this isn't what i we're like cool. high-fiving like, wow like the human body is can so you mean. believe it <laughs> dear diary guess what anthocyanins <laughs> science can do um but anyway let's tell you where you can find them so you can eat more of them they're gonna be found in like the deeply pigmented foods uh think deep blues purples deep reds so black currants blackberries blueberries the skin of eggplant because you want to make sure it has that the color in it uh red cabbage cranberries cherries beets red onions plums pomegranates purple grapes and purple potatoes, especially in the skin of purple potatoes. So you can start to see how restricting plants on a very low carbohydrate diet can also restrict necessary nutrients. And again, that's one of the goals of my carb program is like, how can we get enough nutrition, enough antioxidants, and enough fiber to keep those gut bugs happy while simultaneously lowering your carbohydrate intake because some people just really need to do that for other reasons. So there's my take on that. Micronutrition abounds. Groovy man. So um, Donomom33 asked, potatoes, carb bomb or perfect food? Sweet versus white methods of cooking. I like this question because sometimes potatoes can be seen as carb bombs, but they're so much more than that. Uh, sweet potatoes contain fiber, vitamin A, vitamin C, manganese, magnesium, potassium, B vitamins, just to name a few. A medium cooked sweet potato has about 24 grams of carbs. And even though they're often thought to be interchangeable, yams actually have more carbs than this. Um, and Erin just talked about how different... Hold the phone. Hold the phone. I do not know how to differentiate between a yam and a sweet potato truly if whole foods didn't labor label it for me i would be lost i have no idea carry on know. yeah okay um okay uh so you just talked about how all the different colors provide different antioxidants like the anthocyanins in purple potatoes so that's also something to think about here with all the different colors potatoes come in White potatoes aren't the bad guys, though. They still have vitamin C, folate, B6, potassium, manganese, and fiber, too, with the skin. Um, I'm a, I, I, I love me some white potatoes. Ugh. Like they're oven roasted fries? potatoes. Roasted get potatoes. Get out. Get out. Okay, DJ Tanner. No, wait, that's Michelle. <laughs> no, that's, that's Elaine. Yeah, that's Elaine. Um, White potatoes are unfortunately most commonly deep fried and covered in oil and salt, which is all going to decrease the nutritional value. Um, they do have slightly higher 
a, a slightly higher amount of carbs in them compared to sweet potatoes. So they're going to be higher on the glycemic index, which means they're digested faster than sweet potatoes and cause um, a bit of a higher spike in your blood sugar because of that. But the cool thing is potatoes are like rice in that they're a source of resistant starch when they're cooked and then cooled. And resistant starch resists digestion and reaches your colon still intact, which means no spikes in insulin or blood glucose, which is awesome. And then once they're in the large intestine, they're digested and fermented by the good bacteria in our gut. And when we feed the good guys, it helps to create this healthy balance between the good and bad bacteria. And it also produces short chain fatty acids, which contribute to your overall health. So We're talking overall, a lot about the gut today. Mm, I know. Well, I know it's like impossible not to agree. Um, so moderate amounts of any kind of potato can be a healthy part, um, can be a part of a healthy diet, hands down. You could have them um, roasted, baked, even boiled, um, although you'll lose some of the nutrients doing that. Uh, I guess you could steam them, although I've never really done that. So if you're really looking for that resistant starch, then the best way to do it is to boil it. Yeah, that's what I do because that's how I make potato salad. So like whenever I'm really like looking for the resistant starch, I, I potato salad is like my go-to. And yeah, so. Because you don't want to, just to be clear, you guys, you don't want to reheat. So white, white rice and white potatoes, you cook them and then you cool them, but you don't want to reheat them anywhere beyond room temperature because then they'll, you'll, they'll lose the risk that the carbohydrate is going to turn into something else. Right. So either eat them room temperature, cool. Um, you could have cold rice, but then like put something like hot over it if you wanted to do or it. Or sushi that way. rice. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. A word up. <laughs> uh, did, I, did I just railroad over you? It's been <laughs> a, it's been a long weekend. It's been a long weekend for you. You're like okay. sun sun drunk. I am. Um the other thing I wanted to note here is that white potatoes, try your best to buy those organic because they tend to be a little bit dirtier when it comes to pesticides, whereas sweet potatoes, it's not as important to buy those organic. Just That's wild. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Speaking of rice, somebody wrote, I would love some insight on why I can't digest brown rice as well as rice as white. And the simple answer to this is it's something called anti-nutrients. I started to touch upon this in the last episode. And this is the real reason that I didn't put grains in the nutrient-dense category for carbohydrates. So anti-nutrients are going to include phytic acid, trypsin inhibitors, and lectins. And most of them are found in the bran and the germ of the of the rice. And this is what differentiates brown from white rice. The bran and the germ are still intact in whole grain brown rice, but they're removed in white rice. So brown rice can actually be harder to digest quite a bit so. So let's get into some of the of the issues with anti-nutrients those of you who have done my Fueled and Fit program are familiar with all of this. So if you do want to learn more about this kind of stuff, you can check out my Fueled and Fit program on my website. But I'll do it in a nutshell here. Um, phytates, also called phytic acid, binds to minerals like zinc, copper, iron, magnesium, 
calcium. And when it binds to those minerals, it prevents them from being absorbed by you. So even though whole grain brown rice does have more nutrients than white rice, that's that's undisputable. Um, white rice has almost no nutrients, but we're not able to absorb those nutrients due to the phytates that are also present. And that's why brown rice eaters, people that eat a lot of grains, might have poor mineral balances, especially if they're not replacing those minerals somewhere else in the diet. So that's one of them, okay? The other one is trypsin inhibitors. Um, That's another thing that's found in brown rice. Trypsin is a digestive enzyme that cleaves protein for better absorption. So it's not like we don't just automatically absorb the food that we eat. It has to be broken down into smaller and smaller and smaller bits. And this is one of the enzymes that does that. So if this enzyme is inhibited, then it can be harder for your body to digest protein. And then finally, lectins are also found in brown rice. And I think lectins are really getting their time in the sun right now. So you might have already heard of these guys. Lectins are sticky proteins that can upset the lining of the small intestine. It can contribute to leaky gut, which can then contribute to inflammation and immune issues in the entire body. Now, consumption of lectins can cause us to experience digestive upset, like heartburn, uh, abdominal pain, discomfort, but also fatigue and inflammation. If you avoid nightshades for joint pain or inflammation, or if you know somebody who does, the lectins are the reason behind that because nightshades are typically high in lectins. So just a little fun fact there. Um, So to answer the question, white rice, and that's going to be rice that has been milled and polished, they don't, it doesn't contain any of these anti-nutrients. So it can be much gentler on people's digestion for all of the above reasons. Um, White rice is basically just pure starch. It's a readily absorbable form of glucose, um, which is why some folks really like to use white rice as a post-workout carb to replace muscle glycogen. Um, But keep in mind that white rice does have a pretty high glycemic index, and that just means that it causes blood sugar to spike pretty high pretty quickly. Um, And some people do use that glycemic index to determine whether or not a carb is quote-unquote good or bad. But just keep in mind that if you combine high glycemic index carbs with fat, it's going to lower the glycemic response. So think about something like sushi, right? It's white rice, but you're typically eating it with fatty fish or avocado or whatever. So it's going to slow that blood sugar spike. Cool. Cool. Um, N. Lavoy 23 um, asked, I have questions about rice. Is there a difference between the various types? White, basmati, brown, wild, long grain, short grain, the list goes on and on. I have heard that white rice is bleached, but don't know how true or accurate that is. Is there a type or brand that's high quality? Everybody wants to know about rice. Everybody wants to know about rice. Everybody's missing rice, apparently. Um, So you just explained the difference between white and brown rice. So that answers the whole, like, is white rice bleached um that's a no um black or forbidden rice has higher amounts of protein and fiber and antioxidants than other kinds of rice forbidden rice is so good so it's my favorite i think so good um wild rice is a great source of antioxidants folate phosphorus and magnesium 
short or so like you had said white rice doesn't really like contain much nutrition it's just like a good starch so these are some that do have more nutrition the black forbidden or the wild rice um, short or medium grain rice like aborio which is used in risotto and then long grain rice like basmati or jasmine they they do fall differently on the glycemic index with short grain being higher glycemic and medium and long being less glycemic um some of you may have heard of arsenic in rice, um, and in the interest of time, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole too far. I, I don't want to gloss over it completely, but I also don't want to put too much weight into it either. Um, like a lot of things, it's about quantity and frequency. Uh, this is not to say that you should eliminate rice from your diet completely, but it is one reason to eat rice with some moderation. The EPA has set a limit on arsenic in our food. Thanks, EPA. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't like go trusting that blindly either because, again, you know, you can you can randomly test a product and, you know, there could be accuracy issues with the testing in the first place. And then, like, you're just testing this random product at one snapshot in time or um, – or you're testing it all the time and it seems low, but then you're eating tons of it all the time. So I think it just depends on how often you're eating something and in what amounts. So it's a good idea to obviously try to stay within the safe levels. And I think the easiest way of doing that is to just not have rice, a lot of rice often. Uh, rinsing rice before you cook it and boiling it with a high water to rice ratio also helps with this. And it has been said that white rice has less arsenic in it than brown rice. And the brand that I like is uh, Lundberg, I think is a good brand. Yep, that's I agree with that one. And they do a really good job. And I feel like they they, they test for arsenic too. Uh, yeah, I, I can't agree. Don't quote me on that, but I think that they do. Um, yeah. yeah, so if you're like a vegetarian that eats a super high rice diet, I mean, just be conscientious of that. Um, and one thing that I, I forgot to mention is that, so I talked about those anti-nutrients, but there's ways to reduce the anti-nutrients in rice, in other grains, um, so that you have more access to the nutrition within them. And that is to soak them overnight and uh, cook them. So you want to soak them first. And you can Google around to like find ways, you know, specific ways to do that. But anyway, I didn't want to forget to leave that leave that out. Um, the next question is from Niajra. Don't know if that's how you say it, but I'm going to go with it. That was good. I'm, I'm impressed. Thanks. Sometimes I get so caught up in all the thinking about how much is too much or too little. I am trying to get into a mindset where as far as I am eating real food, I should be good. Awesome mindset. Mm -hmm. However, when it gets closer to the summer, I tend to increase my fruit intake. This causes me to start thinking if I am doing too many carbs. So my question for this person would be, what makes you think you're eating too many carbs? Are you basing that off of how you feel or are you basing that off of what you think you should be eating according to somebody else's rules? Hmm. I think one of the best parts of summer is the abundance of fresh and local fruit. I guess that depends on where you live, but I think that's pretty commonplace for, for most people in the summer. Um, so if fruit is something you enjoy, 
then maybe you're fine. Maybe you go through carb cycles where you eat a higher carbohydrate diet in the summer when fresh food is available and a lower carbohydrate in other seasons. And this is honestly probably pretty close to what our ancestors did. So it makes sense from a few different standpoints, one of which being just enjoying your food. Kyle, you touched upon enjoyment earlier. Like sometimes we just have to enjoy our food and not get so caught up in like the what is right and what is wrong. Um, so speaking of carb cycling, we did have a question come in about that. So I want to touch upon that briefly. Carb cycling is basically when you sometimes eat higher carb and you sometimes eat lower carb. Carb cycling can also involve calorie cycling. So you're dropping calories and carbs. Um, but then at some points you're increasing calories and carbs. The body, the reason that people do this is that the body can handle short bursts of restriction or fasting. But as we've talked about a bazillion times in this show, long-term restriction leads to a whole mess of hormonal and metabolic problems. And this is especially true when you're restricting calories and when you're restricting carbs. So carb cycling is a way around this. Um, You can get pretty intense with this and dial it in meticulously, but I honestly don't think that approach is appropriate for most of our listeners. Um, But there is a way to do this carb cycling more intuitively. If you're attempting a low carb or a very low carb diet, you can ramp up the carbs sometimes. And again, that is something that I'm going to be going into in my uh, carb compatibility project, Um, just how to approach this idea using your own body's wisdom. But perhaps one way to do this is to eat more seasonally like this listener is talking about. So there you go. There's one way to try it. Um, The next question is from Queen Unicorn Fodifo. How do you know you're eating too many carbs, not enough carbs, etc.? Quantity is the shady part for me. Welcome to the club, <laughs> Queen Unicorn. Yeah. That is the shady part for everybody. And it's like the number one question that for we sure. got is like, how many? How many? Um, and there are certain classic telltale signs uh, to determine if you're not eating enough carbohydrates. So those are going to be fatigue, insomnia, irritability carb cravings, like duh, Um, brain fog, feeling cold, bonking during workouts. Now, if you, this is common sense, but we always overlook common sense when it comes to our food. If you increase carbs and you feel better, there's your answer. But if you increase carbs and you don't really notice a change, if you're still feeling those things, carbs are probably not your issue. And you should probably work with a practitioner to figure out what else could be going on there. Yeah, I think paying attention to the symptoms you mentioned are first and foremost, because those are all things that you obviously don't want to continue. Um, But apart from that, just trying to figure out the amount that kind of makes you feel your best, it just takes some tweaking and paying attention to how you feel, which is more challenging to do because you don't have these kind of obvious symptoms to gauge things from and you really just have to pay attention to subtle changes and how you feel. So if you don't have any of the issues that Erin mentioned, I would try playing around with your carb intake one week and see if you feel any different and then just go from there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, everybody's wants to know how many carbs are needed for their optimal body function, right? That question comes in over and over and over and over again. And we might say things, Kyle, you and myself to our to our clients like, well, if a low carb diet isn't working for you, go more moderate carb. But 
I think people are kind of confused around that. Like, what does that actually mean? And how do you seek out those subtle cues, Kyle, that you were just talking about? Like, if something isn't working for you, like, how do you really know that? How do you hone in on those cues? Mm. And as we as we said, carb intake exists on a spectrum. So figuring out where you fall on that spectrum and what is most appropriate for you in this particular phase of your life that's part of the tinkering work where you're moving levers around and you're figuring out where do I feel best. And that is one of the reasons that I created this program. So this is the official announcement. It is being launched, um, Carb Compatibility Project. I, I needed to do it because it was it was in response to what so many people are looking for and asking for because I want to give people a chance to figure out that stuff on their own and have those tools in place so they can continue to figure that out in a year's time, in two years time. Like, is this still working for me or should I try something different? Like when I was breastfeeding, for example, my macronutrient ratio looked way different than it does right now. Um, and, and it's taken me years to tinker around with my carbohydrates and to dial it in. I had to get my gut health in check, like we talked about earlier. I had to get my adrenals in check. I had to support my metabolism and my blood sugar levels. I had to support my pancreas and my liver and my bile flow. All of these things factor into where I stand with carbohydrates. And I know that we just wish that someone could swoop in and tell us what the perfect amount of carbohydrates are for our bodies. I mean, that that is the biggest theme of questions that we got here. But the secret is that there no one can tell you that. No person, no plan, no paradigm, because there is no one right way. There's only the way that's right for you. And I know that can be frustrating to hear, but it's the absolute truth. And you truly, truly have to listen to your own body and let your inner wisdom be your best guide. And so that is what this program that I've created aims to do. It's to encourage that self-trust and to learn how to listen to that body wisdom. You will gain the, the confidence to determine for yourself your own carb compatibility. And this work is going to extend beyond just carbohydrates, you guys. So we're going to explore, we're going to experiment, we're going to learn to use our own intuition. Um, but I, it isn't just all like airy fairy stuff. There's going to definitely be structure built into the program. So I'm going to use weekly templates so you can learn how to step your way in. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure that meets a low carb diet. But I really wanted to create something where tracking food wasn't required for participants. Um, so instead, we're going to gradually dial back the carbs so you can see how you do and where you feel your best. We're basically going to explore that spectrum together, um, but doing it in a way where we don't have to count calories or log every morsel of food. Um, you know, I talked about my experience with going on the ketogenic diet and how I was logging stuff. And I think a lot of people that that approach low carb or keto do feel compelled to track their food because to be in ketosis, you really need to keep your carbs under a certain threshold. So tracking food can can honestly it can help you see where that number is. But I I just find it to be so mentally exhausting, and I honestly find it to be a huge trigger for a lot of my clients. I have not talked to one single person that's had a positive mental experience with tracking their food. And what I don't want for this is to be a program that's basically like a mind F. Like we want to have a positive mental experience because that 
that really impacts your health and your gut health and how you absorb food and, and all of that just as much as anything else. So basically, long story, a little less long. Um, after going through this program, you might end up on the higher side of carbohydrate intake or you might take carbs as low as a ketogenic diet. But the important part is that we're going to assess along the way what's working and what's not and how to figure that stuff out for yourself. So if you're looking, and I, I, you know, a lot of you guys have said this. So if you're looking to create this personalized strategy, if you want to end the carb confusion, then I think this I think this is going to be a great, great thing for you guys. I think it's going to be right up your alley. It's basically a four-week blueprint to determine your body's unique carbohydrate needs. And so you can ultimately feed your body what it needs. Fancy that. Um, amazing. Amazing. I'm going to an- I'm announcing it here on the podcast first. And I think for the first time, it's going to start August 6th. In this first round, I think I'm going to keep it pretty small, um, kind of like a beta group. I'm going to do a lot of hand-holding with this first group because I want to make sure that I'm creating the content in response to what people really want and need and the questions that they have. So um, just a heads up there, I might end up closing registration. I haven't really made up my mind yet. But anyone that jumps in on this first group is going to receive uh, 20% off practitioner line supplements. So if you decide, so let's say you're going through this program and you've got some um, like GI upset and we determine that like maybe you're not absorbing fats well enough, then supplementation might be the way to go. So I'm going to make sure that you guys get a good discount on those. And I'm also going to offer 20% off my individual services. And this is something that I will not offer again. So if you want to do this program and you want to work with me personally, um, get on it soon. So it's going to start, like I said, Monday, August 6th. But if you sign up before July 20th, I want to offer Early Birds a a special bonus. And it's going to be a bonus week of material to prepare and transition you into this program. So that is the long and the short of it. And you guys can find all of the registration info on my website, erinholthealth.com forward slash carb dash compatibility forward slash and I will obviously link to that in the show notes yay yay I said I wasn't going to do anything this summer and I lied the people have asked and you have listened yeah exactly and I just can't sit around um hiking mountains and all that. the time and that <laughs> <laughs> I lose my damn mind all right so you guys thanks for listening keep sending in your questions and that's a wrap <laughs> Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.